This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Stacy today. Welcome, Stacy. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to have you here. I love your scarf. I'm very Oh, thank you so much. Why don't you take us sort of back to the beginning uh, in your journey with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? So I, I would say that my journey with alcohol probably started a long time before I actually picked up my first drink, which I think pretty much everyone can say because we've all had relatives or friends or society, some kind of influence with alcohol that kind of got into our heads before we ever actually tried it ourselves. Um, So for me, my first introduction to the world of alcohol was actually um, my dad. I would normally say he was an alcoholic, but after reading your book and after listening to your videos, I would now say he was on the severe end of alcohol use disorder. So more normal people who don't understand the different terms would just say alcoholic. And that was me until recently. I just thought that that was the common thing to say. And um, so, yeah, he, from a young age, he started drinking and he had me late in life. My mom and him were both 42. So uh, he had been drinking a long time by the time I came around. Um, And it was, yeah, it was at the severe end. So he would drink beer. So it took him a long time to get drunk um he would start at like 10 11 in the morning and then you would only start to see the effects like mm, 7 p.m maybe 6 p.m um so luckily for me he was not an abusive or aggressive alcoholic um he would more just become very almost childlike i would say um he would need a lot of reassurance he would be very insecure um just sort of not like the strong, capable, happy person that he was during the daytime. And for me, that was very hard to see as a child because I had this image of him as my dad and as this happy, lively person who I could depend on. And then in the evening, it was kind of like I became the adult where I had to tell him it's okay. It's okay. Yes, I love you too, you know, Um, and that was kind of hard. Um, and so due to that, and due to my mom having some mental health issues, uh, my brother and I were taken into foster care when I was six and he was 11. Um, so luckily my foster parents were, they were very good at explaining things to us. Like they didn't just say, oh, like your mom and dad had issues and then leave it at that. Like, as I got older, they started to explain to me, like your dad has an issue with alcohol, your mom has mental health and depression, and that's why they can't have you. Because as a kid, you're wondering, why can't I be with my parents? Like nothing bad happened. Why can't I just live with them? And as I got older, I started to understand why not. Um, And so I got to have two different lives in a sense where living with my foster family, I felt very safe and comfortable and taken care of and I had money and I had food and I had everything and then when I'd go see my parents on the weekend uh they were separated uh when I went into foster care right before that maybe in the year before I went into foster care they had separated um so I would have one day with my mom and one day with my dad and as much as I liked seeing them and I enjoyed their company and they were still my parents I definitely felt more vulnerable and like I had to take control and I had to be the responsible one and that was very hard um and then when I got back home to my foster home I just felt like I would literally get into the car and just like (sighs) like I'm safe again like I'm okay again and it's not that I felt my parents would ever do anything to hurt me it's just that I felt 
that they weren't capable. So I just worried about, you know, anything really. Um, so that was kind of my first foray into mental health and alcohol. And since I saw what it did to my dad, I was one of those people that said, like, I'm never touching that stuff, like never. And the older kids and teens would be like, oh, you will like, just wait till you get older, you will. And I was like, no, I promise you, I am not going near that stuff. Like I did not like it. Um, and then they were right. As you get older, everyone's drinking and my foster parents drank also, but they reserved it for the weekends and they did it in like, you know, a responsible fashion, like as much as using any drug could be responsible. Like now that I know alcohol is a drug. Um, but yeah, it would be on the weekends. It would be in the evenings. It didn't really change who they were. Like they might be a bit more relaxed, but I didn't see any major difference. So with them, I was like, okay, maybe alcohol is not so bad. Some people can have it and they're having a good time and everything's good. Um, and in movies, of course, and shows, everyone's drinking. So I'm like, okay, maybe my dad was just someone who could not handle it. And that's fine. There's some people like that, but most people are fine. So um, I had my first drink when I was like 13 or 14. Um, and it was enough to make me be like, okay, this is interesting. I'm not really sure what's going on here. It's okay, but I'm not, eh, whatever. There's no big, I don't see the big deal about it. Um, and then, so as the years passed, that was kind of what happened. I would just have a drink here and there. Like if an adult is like, here, do you want a sip of this or something? Cause they like to do that. I don't know why they like to do that. It's fun for them, like to see a reaction. Um, and it wasn't a big thing, like here, have this, all this alcohol. It's just like, have a sip and see if you like it. And I was always like, nah, not really. Um, so for me, my alcohol drinking it like on a consistent basis, it didn't start till I was maybe like 18. I started to have it from time to time because, uh, here in Ontario, I live very close to the Quebec border and the legal age in Quebec is 18 to purchase alcohol. So my friends would often go buy it. And then uh, in Ontario, it's 19. So when I turned 19, I was legally able to drink it. So from time to time, I would try and feel like an adult and like, I'll have some wine with my dinner tonight. Like, you know, just that kind of thing. But it wasn't, I didn't really care for it that much. It was just to feel more adult-like. Um, and then as I got older, I developed a lot of anxiety issues. Like I'd always had anxiety, but then it was getting worse. And after I graduated high school, I didn't know what to do with my life. So I stayed in my hometown and I met someone there and we moved in together. And um, I just felt very lost and very unsure of what to do. And I felt like everyone was moving on and leaving me behind. And it, it just all the anxieties that I had in my life kind of just built up because I was alone a lot of the time. I couldn't find work. It was a little town. Um, and I just felt really lost. Um, and I'd also lost my dad when I was 14. It wasn't due to alcohol. It was due to an accident at work, but that had kind of taken a long time to hit me. Like I had been numb for a long time. And as, as I got older, like 15, 16, it started to hit me and I started to process it. And then I feel like a lot of the residual stuff, it just came out more as time went on. Sometimes time helps, but in my case, it kind of just took time to fully hit me. Um, so I was very anxious and at the worst point, I couldn't even leave my house without feeling anxious. Like I, the farther I went from home, the worse it became. And I did end up, uh, getting a job and, for that job, I would sometimes have to commute like 45 to 50 minutes. It's a rural area and I would go to different centers around the county. And just taking that 45 minute drive filled me with so much anxiety because I was so far from home, in my opinion, and it was really hard for me. So I would, um, this is like one of the worst things that seems like an alcoholic to me, but I wasn't even drinking. I would take the only wine I had in the house was cooking wine. And I would literally fill like an aluminum water bottle with cooking wine and bring it with me. Cause I just had this rationalization that if I get anxious and I start to have a panic attack or something, I could just drink this and it's like, it'll calm me down. And even though it didn't make sense, I knew that like a part of my brain accepted it. So I was like, okay, that's my security blanket now. So I would just take that with me anytime. And I felt really weird doing that. Cause like, that's a I, I knew like there was a red flag in my head. I shouldn't be doing this, but yeah. it's the only thing I could do. So um, once more time passed, I started taking therapy. I did some online therapy um, and just talked to somebody about 
my anxiety and they gave me some helpful tips. And then I started taking yoga classes and I actually had this really big breakthrough at a yoga class where I was laying on the floor and we were doing our breathing. And that always triggered me to have a panic attack always because focusing on my breathing just set me off. And it's always been that way. And she was saying, like, I would usually distract myself and think of other things. And she was like, just, just feel what you're feeling. If you feel uncomfortable, feel that. If you feel sad, feel that. If you're bored, feel that. It's okay. Just let it wash over you. And as she was talking, I did start to feel like my adrenaline kicking in, like I was getting a panic attack. Like my heart started racing. I felt my palms start to sweat. I felt all the emotions, but I wasn't moving and I wasn't distracting myself in my head. And I was, I was like, this is weird. I always run away and I'm not. And the funny thing is within about 30 seconds, it had passed. It was over. And I was like, what? No. Like after all these years running, I just had to feel it and be scared for that period of time. And it just left. I realized it wasn't the anxiety that was necessarily the problem. It was my pushing it away. And that was a really big breakthrough for me. So soon after that, I felt like free and I decided to move to Ottawa, which is uh, the closest city to where I live. And I wanted to, because I'd wanted to leave for a long time, but due to my anxiety, I couldn't do it. So as soon as that was over, I was like, yes, okay, I'm out of here. So I moved to Ottawa. And um, when I moved here, I didn't start drinking much. Like I had a few ciders or a few glasses of wine from time to time, but nothing big. Um, My drinking really started to get more um, elevated, I'd say, is when I, I got a job at a theater doing like box office concession, just basic stuff. And I met my current boyfriend there. And he, um, he and I got to know each other and we would start hanging out. Um, and uh, basically we would go next door. There was a grocery store and there was a wine rack attached, which is like, they just sell wine and ciders and stuff. And we would just go get stuff for dinner. And then the wine rack's right there. So we're like, oh, let's just get something to drink. And they have all these different flavors like apple and pear and blackberry and everything. So it's like fun, like, let's do it. It's more just like a, a thing to enjoy. It wasn't for the alcohol exactly. But as we started to get to know each other and hang out and have fun together, we always had that with us. And I think it made me romanticize alcohol because it was always part of the experience. So instead of feeling like, oh, I'm having a great time because I'm with this great person, I felt like the alcohol had a direct role in that. And I just realized that now I didn't realize it at the time, but it definitely started to romanticize it for me. So then every time we were going to hang out, I would be like, do you have anything to drink at your house? And if he said no, I would have to go get some like I wouldn't go there or let him come over if there was nothing because I just felt like it was going to be boring like we'd be depriving ourselves like I have to make this nice um and after working a long day I would get off the bus go into the LCBO which is like our government uh, alcohol store and I'd get wine and then I'd have to wait for the next bus which could be another like 20 minutes and then get on to go see him the whole thing could take like an extra hour out of my night And when you work minimum wage and you're tired, like that's the last thing you want to do is like extra commuting and all that kind of stuff. And I would do it. And so at that point, I was kind of thinking like, hmm, if I can't enjoy myself without this, that's a little bit weird. And if I'm taking this time out of my day to get this, that's not good. But at the same time, it wasn't really a big issue. So I just kind of put it to the side. Um, And then I ended up leaving that job at the theater and I took a different job that was a lot more stressful. And I ended up moving in with a roommate who was a very negative person, just very negative about life, always in a bad mood. And when you're around someone like that, it just permeates the area. It's not just reserved for them. Like they spread it around. So all in all, I was getting pretty miserable and it became a habit to just get off work, get home, take my shoes off and just have a drink straight away. Like, that was my treat. Like I earned this. And even like halfway through work, I would already be thinking about going home and having it. Like that's, what's getting me through this. I can deal with this terrible customer because I'm getting a drink later. So just, just get through it. Um, and that's when it started to add up for me. And, um, I was having a hard time. Like I didn't have energy. I had no energy and I had gone vegan recently, like in that time. 
And I was like, oh, it's probably my vegan diet. And even though I was eating really healthy, I was still like, it's probably my vegan diet or like, I'm not getting enough nutrients or I'm not exercising enough. I don't know. Um, And then like, I would need three energy drinks, like several coffees just to get through my shift. And my coworkers would be like, how many energy drinks are you on today? Like it was a joke for them. And then as I kept going and doing, I finally started doing research about alcohol. Like in this time, I would kind of Google it from time to time and learned like it interrupts your REM sleep. And I'm like, oh, I drink like right up until the point where I go to sleep. So that makes perfect sense. Um, But I still didn't want to stop. I still didn't want to stop. And on weekends, if I went home to my farm, they are whiskey drinkers and that was too expensive for me to buy. So I would just be like, Ooh, free whiskey. Like I can just have as much as I want. And then I'd go overboard and then I'd be super hungover the next day and it was terrible. And I'd be like, Oh, I don't want to do that again. But then of course I would do it again. Um, and so it was all starting to like slowly compile, like slowly things were making me not want to drink, but the benefits still felt as if they were outweighing the cons of it. Um, So, and then during this time, even though I was mostly drinking alone by myself, like it wasn't a depressed thing. I actually enjoyed drinking alone. I would put on a movie or a show or whatever, and I would just drink. And to me, that was calming. Like I liked it. Um, The odd time I would go hang out with my high school friends. Some of them had moved to Ottawa and um, they were still very immature and very high school minded. And when I drank, I would just act just like them. Even though I looked down on them for those behaviors they would do, I would act just like them when I drank. And I would sometimes be worse than them. Like they had a kind of a mean-spirited attitude and I would just try and impress them and I would get extra mean. And they would even be like, whoa, that's that's a bit far. And so then I'd go home and I'd like, sometimes I would literally throw up from drinking too much, which I didn't usually do. Um, and then I'd feel terrible the next day and be like, why did I act like that? That is not who I am. Like, I'm so embarrassed. And sometimes my boyfriend would be with me and I was so embarrassed that he saw me like that. And he was in charge of getting me home. And when I was younger and I wasn't drinking and I was in charge of drunk people, I absolutely hated it. It was like, get your stuff together, not have to do this for you. Um, so all that kind of stuff was compiling and I finally started to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to quit, but maybe I'll cut down. Like there's no harm in cutting down. I could save money. I could be healthier. Like, let's look into it. So that's when I like slowly started to research it. I would watch like YouTube videos about alcohol and I would like, I went on Instagram and I found a few accounts that were sober accounts and I was like, okay, this seems all right, but I still wasn't fully there. Um, and it, it just sort of, it just sort of took a long time. And looking back, I feel dumb, like, I had so many warning signs early on and I still kept going. Um, I think like one of the main things of the reason that I quit is that I would be hungover pretty much every single time I drink, which I hated because like you work all week really hard and then you celebrate the weekend with drinking and then you wake up hungover and you can't even enjoy your day. Like you're exhausted. You, the light hurts your eyes. You have a headache. I wouldn't want anyone to be around me. Like, just leave me alone. I just need to be alone for the day. And I was like, what's the point of this? So the hangovers were a main thing. But then also when I was drinking, I would feel like um, pretty much like the lowest of the low, like the buzz and euphoria would be great. Like I'd enjoy that. But then after that wore off, I was just left with my thoughts in like a depressive state. And I would be like, I'm wasting my life. I'm not doing, I'm not living up to my potential. Like so many other people are accomplishing their goals and doing what they want to do. And here I am just drinking and wasting my time. And it, I just felt useless, but then it became a cycle because I was useless. And because I was so upset at myself for wasting my time, I would drink more as punishment. Like you deserve this. You deserve this low feeling. Like you're nothing. Just make it worse for yourself. Like, why don't you? And that became such a toxic cycle. And the next day I would wake up and I would look in the mirror and like, you feel like you don't even know yourself. You just see like a hollow version of you. Like my eyes would be dim. My skin would be pale. I would just look like a shell. And that really hurt me because I've been known my whole life for being like a lively, happy person most of the time. And just waking up, seeing myself like feeling like there was nothing there, nothing valuable it made me feel awful. So then I was like, okay, 
I can either continue living my whole life this way, or I can start to maybe change it. So it was near the end of 2018. Yes, 2018, where I was really, really wanting to change. I would actually write myself journal entries while I was drunk sometimes as like a plea to my sober self. Like looking back, reading those now, it's so weird for me, but I literally have one just titled Stacy dot, 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 please stop. Like, like it's as if I was two different people. You'd think Mm -hmm. if you have the thought that you want to quit, you'll just quit. But it's like, there's two different people going on. The daytime you is like, I'm quitting. I'm a new person, my new life. Yeah. And then as soon as evening comes, you're like, Hmm, I'm bored. It's not really going to be a problem if I just drink a little bit. And then you get right back down to where you were and the cycle just continues. So I would write to myself in detail as much as I could to try and convince myself to quit. Like right now I have a headache. My stomach hurts. I feel miserable. I'm very unhappy. I'm listening to the sober person talk and I want to be just like them. And I feel bad that I'm, I'm, doing this to myself. And then I would read it. And every time I did that, and every time I read it in my sober mind, like one more thing would click for me. Like it would, it it took a long time. It was just like breadcrumbs to lead me to a better life. It wasn't as if I could just jump into it. I had to slowly get myself there. And then when I started reading this naked mind, that really helped because it was like all the things I was telling myself before, all the breadcrumbs I was leaving, it's like they weren't fully getting through. Like, because of all the conditioning of society, like alcohol is a good thing, alcohol is a benefit, alcohol is fun, everyone drinks and has a good time, advertising, all that kind of stuff. You almost don't believe yourself when you say it's not a good thing. Like, well, I just overdid it. It's not, it's not alcohol's fault that I overdid it. Um, like, you just don't fully understand everything. But when I read this naked mind, it was just like the door opened. Like I was trying to break down a door before and this naked mind opened it up so I could see like, Oh, I understand now. I guess it's like the cognitive dissonance thing. It gets rid of a lot of that because you explain everything in a way that like, it just changes your whole perception. So all the sober stuff I was reading before I could kind of understand it, but not fully. After I read this naked mind, I could really absorb it because that door was down and it was free for all the information to come through it. So I tried to read it slowly because I knew that's the best way to digest it. But I was like, what is this stuff? I want to get this in my brain right now. Because every time I read something, it was like, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. And it just felt so good. And I started highlighting it. And I was like, I'm highlighting the whole book. There's no point. Like, I'll just reread it. Um, so that was a huge, huge help. And I, I actually picked it up on New Year's Eve of 2018. Like I was about to go to a party and I did not want to drink. And I'm like, I Googled like drinking books or how to quit drinking books. And that was like the top one with a ton of good reviews. So I'm like, okay, I'm picking this one. And I read as much as I could. And then I went to the party and I actually did last like an hour and a half without drinking, but I didn't know anybody there, just my boyfriend. That's it. And I was so uncomfortable and it was new year's Eve and I was freshly trying to do this. So I gave in and I drank. Um, but then in the new year, when I was more like getting into it, that's when I, I finished the book And I was telling my boyfriend all the time, did you know this about alcohol? Did you know that about alcohol? And he was kind of getting annoyed, like, okay, like, cool. Like, he didn't want me to try and change his idea of it. And I wasn't trying to, but I was just so excited. Um, So uh, I, I was sober for a week after I read the book, like one week. And after that week, I felt good. But I was like, I was still digesting everything in the book. Like a lot of it did resonate and a lot of it probably was still not quite there yet. So I was still fighting. It's like I was fighting 25, 26 years of conditioning. And then this book can't just immediately switch it. At least for me, it didn't, but it, it just made it so that the change was possible now. That's how I felt. Like it didn't immediately change everything, but it, it, it got me in the right direction. Um, So I was sober for like a week and then I drank again and then I was sober for two weeks. And after every one of these, I felt like, 
oh, I can control it now. Like clearly, because I hadn't had even one sober day in years, not even one, unless I was like sick with the flu. I did not have even one sober day. And so to go a week was like amazing to go two weeks. That was amazing. Okay. I have it under control. Um, but then I would just go back to the way I was being unhappy. And I'm like, well, why am I going back to the way I was? This is stupid. So I would just kind of slowly work my way up. Um, the first time that I got to be a month sober was actually January, 2020. So I read your book like January, 2019, and I didn't have a full sober month till January, 2020. Now I had a ton more sober days than before. I went from not being sober even one day to being sober like most of the week and then one or two days drinking. So it it did help a lot, but it just took time to fully get to the point where I could get be done with it. Um, and my goal was to have 2020 be completely without drinking. And unfortunately I didn't reach that goal. Um, I drank like three times in February and like once in March, like, I don't know, like seven times um, total. And June 27th, 2020, that was the last time I drank. So this month will actually be a year. June 28th of this month will be a year. And to me, I'm like, what? Like when I first reached my 30 days, that felt like a year to me. That might as well have been a year. I was like, if I could go a month, I could go anytime. Like that's, that was always a so long time in my mind. Like how could anyone go a month? Like I would try dry January and dry October and all those different sober October. And I would never do it. Like I would try to, and I could never do it. So when I finally did, it was like, whoa, this is real now. Like I know I can do it because I just did a month. So now, now I'm there pretty much. And then for the rest of the time, it was just like, I'd either feel super anxious or super bored and I'd decide to drink. And I'd be like, that was a stupid choice. And I'd get back on the horse. So then by June, I just felt like I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done. I didn't have the thought of, uh, this is for sure my last drink ever, but I just felt like I didn't want it anymore and it stuck. And, um, I don't know if this is a thing with lots of people, but I was obsessed with like my sober date. Like I was like, Oh, I think it was just an excuse to drink. Like (laughs) the first of the month sounds better. So I'm just going to drink now and I'll start on the first of the month or like Monday is better. Like you just put it off as much as you can. And then the day I ended up being sober for good, it's just a random date. I did not choose June 28th. It just, I just stopped that day. So (laughs) it was just kind of funny. It was just a weird way for me to put off what I was trying to do, I guess. But, um, the other thing that really pushed me like this naked mind did and all the other sober stuff I was reading, but in a weird way, the other thing that pushed me was the coronavirus pandemic because I was just flat out scared and flat out scared for my health. And I knew that alcohol was not a helpful thing to drink if you were trying to be healthy and have a good immune system. And you actually came out with a video around that time, like March, 2020 or April, maybe. And it was like alcohol in your immune system. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm not drinking anymore because it was like, I was already pretty much there. And that just sort of gave me the extra push of like, I'm done. It's not worth risking my health. It's not worth, you know, going through this. And I also knew that due to the lockdowns and the stay at home orders, if I go back to drinking now, like I'm done, I'm back to square one because I had no work. I got put off my work and time means nothing. Everybody's home. Nothing's open. So I knew like I could drink in the morning. I could drink in the afternoon. I could drink anytime and it wouldn't matter. And if I drink every time I'm anxious, like I'll always be drinking. So I just knew like, this is make or break right now. If I go back to my old ways, I'm going to be worse than I ever was. And if I decide to change, then like now's the time. So I did it. And, um, that's about it. Like, I would just say that for anyone who's struggling out there, the main thing is just do not give up. Just don't like, even in my lowest moment, I had hope that one day I could do this one day I could, and I couldn't even visualize it. I couldn't even believe it, but I had hope that I could. And that's the only thing that sustained me. Like if I gave up, then I'm done. Like I'm truly done. So just, just, give it one more try. Like I watched another podcast. I think her name was Lauren. And she said she had like 35 day ones. I don't even know how many day ones I had. I probably had like hundreds. Like, I don't know. I had a million of them. And eventually one of them stuck and was my last day one. So just do not give up no matter what happens. That's, 
you will get there. It's not always going to be easy, but the only time you're done for is if you stop trying. So every day is a new chance. Every hour is a new chance. Don't wait till the next day. Don't wait. If you just drink now, you can stop in the next hour. You don't have to keep going. So that was everything, I think. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's that. mostly well, my story. <laughs> it's such a great story. And I'm, I really appreciate it because sharing that it was like, okay, read it. And then it was a week. And then it was a lot of day ones for a year. And just mm -hmm. the, the encouragement and the importance of that patient message, you know, in my story, I had so many tries before I had this like big moment of like, why am I, I mean, it really went from the question I was asking was what's wrong with me? Am I an alcoholic beating myself up to being like, okay, why is this happening? And saying, okay, I'm going to let myself off the hook. I'm just going to take as long as it takes and find out why. And then, um, you know, if I find out that alcohol is the end all be all perfect substance in the planet, yeah. I'll keep drinking it. And if I find yeah. out not, then I'll make a different decision, but I'm just going to find out why. And I'm going to, I'm going to let myself keep drinking in that discovery process. And then it was easy. And so I think people do get the false idea that, okay, well, it was just one and done. And if I mess up, then somehow it didn't work for me or I wasn't um, doing it right. Or, and, and that's not true. In fact, our head coach, Scott Pinyard has a very similar story to you where he, you know, right away, like had a few days and then it, it took him a really long time after that. And it was like just a very slow process. And sometimes I think we have to try over and over what doesn't work for us to realize it doesn't work for us. Like that's just part of the growth, right? That's true. It sounds like you always say insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But sometimes you do have to do that a certain number of times because you think, maybe it's a fluke. Like there was so many times I tried to not be hung over the next day by just changing my pattern. Like I'll just drink this alcohol instead of that one. I'll try drinking a cup of water every time I'll try eating this, whatever, because I was like, maybe I could just make this work for me. And you do have to fail a certain number of times before it clicks with you. Like, yeah. okay, like clearly at this point, we can conclude <laughs> that it's over. And especially with something as powerful as alcohol and all the messages were given about it. I don't think it's maybe some people can read your book or read one single quote and be like, cool, I'm done. And I think in your book, you did say, I don't remember who it was, but they did quit cold turkey one day. And I was so jealous reading that. I was like, oh, I wish I could do that. That would be awesome. But I think for a lot of people, it does take time. And if I could just add one more thing, I would say, I kept searching for my rock bottom moment mm. to be assigned to stop. And I knew if I had one, I could stop. And so I was like, well, I'll just keep drinking until it gets to that point. And then I'll really have a reason to stop. And then I'll have a really good redemption story. Like I was way down in the lowest of the low and I made myself better. And now look at me. Like I wanted that whole thing. And I thought that was the epitome of what a recovery story is. And I had read a quote just like, you don't have to be an alcoholic to quit drinking or like you don't have to eat, you know, McDonald's every day to want to eat healthier, basically to be like, you don't have to wait for the worst of the worst to start improving things. And, and I never had one massive rock bottom moment. I had a, many small moments that were bad that added up. And I think that's what a lot of people need to hear is you don't need to like crash a car and go to jail and, have all this bad stuff happen to you in one night <laughs> to feel like you you're too far or you need to change like if you feel like alcohol isn't making you happy or it's it's messing up your life in any way you can stop anytime and and don't wait for that moment just like you said try and if you discover that alcohol drinking was a better life for you okay then at least you tried and that did help me as well just because you got to trick yourself by saying that because you obviously know not drinking is going to be better, but you're like, I'll try it. And if it's bad, I'll go back to drinking. And it's like, I'll, not drinking is way better, but it's enough to get you in that zone. It's enough to say, I'll try out this life and see what it's going to be like. And I expect it'll be boring and, and not very good. And I'll probably go back to alcohol anyways. 
Uh, but then you realize, oh, like I'm actually sleeping better and I'm waking up with energy and I don't have to have a headache every day and I've lost five pounds or whatever. And even though I did lose some weight after drinking, uh, quitting drinking, it took a long time. So that's another thing I would say. If you quit drinking for a month and all of a sudden you're not running a 10 kilometer marathon, like you're probably not going to do that. I would see so many stories of people with these great like healthy lifestyles and they're living the dream. And I'd be like, after a month, I'm like, Hey, I'm ready. Like, where's my brand new job with all this money and where's my new health and where's my new weight loss and where's my new happy lifestyle. And it's like, it takes time. Quitting drinking doesn't create the life for you. It just allows you to the opportunity to create the life you want. So those are the last things I wanted to say. <laughs> I think that's so true. And I, I've always felt so much gratitude that I didn't have to get to a rock bottom. And so that was a mindset mm-hmm. instead of like, okay, I'm looking for a sign, you know, I'm waiting for a sign. Um, and I think that there's, we were, I was talking about this recently with somebody else about it, just a decision about like whether to, you know, leave one job for another job that he was much more passionate about. And he's like, I'm just, I'm just waiting to be pushed you know, like maybe the company won't need me or maybe they'll go bankrupt or maybe this will happen. And I just want to be pushed. I just want to be pushed. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, not everything is a push. There's a lot of things that are a pull. And so yeah. rock bottom is like a push. Like I'm going to push you off the cliff and you know, like this is it. Like, you're done. <laughs> yes. Um, but you could also just get gently pulled, you know, in a different direction. And so I think that's, you know, being it's really cool that there was a moment in your journey when you heard that quote and you're like, oh, it's worth listening to what's pulling me forward instead of trying to just, you know, say, well, I just better wait. Cause I think a lot of people get stuck there. They're like, well, it hasn't Mm -hmm. been bad enough. I haven't had the really bad sign. And so it's almost this reckless attitude to just keep moving forward. And which is interesting. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. About, um, about so you went vegan before you went alcohol free and I was just you know what was there any I I have a really good friend who is a vegan and she now is stopped drinking about three and a half four years ago but before that she was a vegan and a very very heavy drinker and I we've talked about like was there any major cognitive dissonance there about like okay I'm doing this for my health and this for or I mean, her, her reasons are partly her health, but also just partly treatment of animals. And so um, it's, it's partly ethical, but it, it's always an interesting conversation to be like, when you really put a line in the sand about one thing, does it create more noise about the other thing? Well, yeah, so that's, I actually didn't think about that. That's an interesting point. Um, for me, I went vegan a hundred percent for animals. Like I didn't have any, I didn't care about much else. Um, I had just always been an animal lover my whole life. And I'd watched a lot of videos and done a lot of research. And I just decided like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, And I knew that there were health benefits to it, but I didn't care about that. Cause honestly, like (laughs) I don't really like cooking. So I was always eating just like my healthiest thing I'd eat is like beans and rice or like craft dinner, like before I was vegan. And um, so for me, the health didn't really matter. Um, But that being said, I was being careful to have all the nutrients I needed. Like I was taking a B12 supplement, I was taking omega threes and I actually worked at a health food store. So like when I went vegan, a lot of people there were vegan. And so I, I knew a lot about the health parts of it and I was trying to make sure I was healthy, but then at the same time, yeah, I'm ingesting this alcohol and I didn't really think of it so much like that, but I could easily see how the cognitive dissonance is very strong with that because some people do go vegan for health reasons only. And if they are drinking heavily at the time, like your friend, it, it is hilarious because it's like, you're not like, you trust me, quitting drinking is going to be better like than going vegan if you're only doing it for health. So that is really funny, but for me, it wasn't an issue. So. Okay. I was really curious about that. Um, yeah. Last thing I wanted to really circle back to was just, uh, how cool it was that you had that opportunity with somebody guiding you to just be like, sit in your emotion, sit in this Mm. and running away from, um, my son has been, you know, having a few like just panic attacks. And I don't know if, if they're really 
could be classified as panic attacks because I'm not in his body, but it's definitely where he feels like he's, he just is scared. He feels like it's as if he's going to just fall off a cliff it laying in his bed or something. Yeah. And so, um, what we do is we just like go into that feeling. Like, we're like, okay, like, where is it in your body? Like put your focus on it, put your attention on it. You know, for me, my anxiety has manifested in feeling like, um, a fire in my gut or like a, Mm. a really intense sort of acidic feeling. And I didn't Mm. even know that at first, I just felt wildly discomfortable, like uncomfortable. Like I just wanted to run away. And I had a time when I was, I was in Honduras, I was probably like 21. We were up in the mountains. We were putting like water filtration systems into these little villages. And we were sitting in a home of a family there and they were feeding us and they had this jar of peppers in the middle of the table. And so all of us, uh, people who were there putting this water filter and we'd just go and take turns and one night it was like your roulette night. And so they were just egging us on the locals and we're like, okay, you pick a pepper and whatever <laughs> one it is, you're going to eat it. Right. And so then it was my night and it was just the funniest thing because these were the hottest peppers any of us <laughs> ever experienced. And it was my night and I ate the pepper and my reaction to that much burning in my mouth was to get up and run down the street. Like I left the house, left the table and ran down the street. And, and it's so funny because our instinct oh run right like we just want to run and uh and so I think about that when I'm thinking about but interestingly with feelings that are in our bodies that are not necessarily caused by like obviously a hot pepper is causing a physical feeling and these are physical as well what my son will notice is if he goes into the feeling it will take a few minutes or maybe a few seconds but it will loosen And I've heard Mm. it said, and I really like this quote, like a feeling fully felt changes. So if you stop trying to push it away and you allow yourself to feel it, it like loosens and you're like, oh, oh, that's what I was so scared of. Oh, interesting. Oh, I can handle that, you know, which is really fascinating. Yeah, no, I'm it's it's always a comfort to hear other people's stories with anxiety because it's such an isolating feeling. And you feel crazy when you're going through it because you're having this panic attack. Like you said, your son will just be in bed and he can have a panic attack from that. And so you feel crazy. Like there's no bear chasing me. There's no hot pepper. It's just me feeling this way for nothing. And I think that's where a lot of the panic comes from is like, at least if there's a bear, you have a reason you're running. At least if there's someone trying to hurt you, you have a reason to fight. Like that's why you have your adrenaline. But if it's just you sitting there alone, it you have nothing to do with that energy. That's why you want to run away. Um, so yeah, lying there and just absorbing it, it was a very surreal feeling after running for so long. And I do have to say, it's not something I feel you can get too complacent with, at least for me personally, because For a long time, that one experience carried me through and I didn't feel as anxious after that. But then as my anxiety started to come back, because life just is going to bring up those feelings. It's just a natural feeling to have. I would sometimes go back to my old habits of running away from it because as time passes, you forget how you felt at the time. Like you don't want to, I don't know, you just sort of fall back. It's like what you said in your book about your old neural pathways lighting up. It takes time to establish a new one. So don't get too complacent. Try and get yourself back to that place. And and I feel like I need to work on that even now because I was using alcohol for a long time to quell my anxiety without realizing it was making it so much worse. Like a day after drinking, my anxiety was so much worse than before. It did not help. Um so now it's been almost a year, but I still have that um, desire at times if I'm going through a hard time or whatever to just um, run from it or cover it up with something. And it's very important to not give into that because you give it so much more power when you do that. When you just face what it is, it it's less scary. And I think Mr. Rogers had a quote about that. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's basically like, feelings are, are mentionable and manageable. And I think that's huge. If you can mention it, you can manage it. If you don't talk about it, it's like 
for any Harry Potter fans, if they don't say Voldemort's name, they're way more scared of him. As soon as you say it, you take away his power. And I think that's the same with anxiety. If we can just come forth and say, hey, sometimes I have anxiety. Sometimes it's hard for me to deal with. The first time I started being open with that, it just felt like a weight off my shoulder. Like I wasn't isolated anymore. And once you say it, yeah, it loses about half its power, I would say. It's still scary, but sometimes even when I was talking about it with people, just talking about it would make me anxious. So I would start to get the feelings coming back of my anxiety. And I would almost have a panic attack while talking, but because I didn't allow it to panic me, it wasn't a panic attack. It was just a feeling. I would feel anxious and I would feel on edge while I was explaining everything to them. And by the end of me explaining it, the feelings were gone because I didn't give it and say, hang on, talking about this is panicking me. I just let it, I just kept going and it just went away. Like, oh, you're not, you're not interested. Oh, hmm, okay. And then it just keeps going. And it's like with happiness, you're not going to feel happiness forever. We wish we could. Um, you're not going to feel anxiety forever. So I think it's great that you're doing that with your son and helping him work through it from a young age, because I didn't get the chance to work through it till I was a lot older and you're giving him really valuable tools now. Like that will help him in so many ways, not just with anxiety that can help so much with just anger. Sometimes when we're angry, it's so hard to let go of that or resentment or guilt or whatever. So the fact that you're teaching him that now is so awesome. You're building like a foundation for him to be, just to be able to handle his emotions better. And that's awesome. I think a lot of us could use that. So that's great. I heard it. Speaking of anger, I heard a trick with kids, which is basically like, if they're really mad. Tell them to try to get more mad. Like, <laughs> oh, like, oh, oh. so mad. Okay. Feel more mad. Can you feel more yeah. mad? And like, it's yeah. really hard and it often just breaks the pattern. So anyway, it's just, that's so people. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm going to look that up or like try and imagine that because that I've never heard that before. And that's well, really you funny. You can try it on yourself when you're mad next time. I don't know if it would work as well with adults. <laughs> like make yourself more mad. That's it's so like, funny. Because you have to get in touch with what it really is. And you're like, oh, there's not really much there. Like, you know, anyway. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah. I like that. So let me ask you the question that I ask at the end of these, which is if you were going to go back in time to um, Stacy, who was, you know, without a day, without drinking, even unless she had the flu or something. And um, what would you tell her about what life is like now, sort of on the other side? I would say life is not perfect and it never will be. But if you stop drinking and become the person you know you can be, you will be a lot happier. You will be a lot more capable and you will, you will, you will be your more authentic self that you always knew was in there. And I would say that when I wake up now and I, feel normal, like normal feels great now because I got so used to waking up hungover and feeling horrible that the first day you wake up after you're not hungover anymore, you're like, oh, I feel amazing. And over time, it just becomes normal. But that's a perfect example of how your life changes. Alcohol makes you feel like that's all you're focused on and you're your bad feelings are all you're focused on. And so you don't have any room left. You don't have any emotions left and time to think of how you'd like to create your life and make it better. Once you stop drinking, like I said before, it doesn't make your life automatically amazing just because you quit drinking. Like you feel a lot better. You have more time, but now it's up to you to use that to make your life better. So I would just tell the Stacy from those years ago, like, The most valuable thing that you will get from going on this journey and quitting alcohol is you'll get yourself back. Mm. Like you won't feel, you won't feel useless or pointless or not worth anything. You will feel like you have value. You have something to give your life matters and what you say and do those actions are yours. They're not up to alcohol. 
it's not alcohol that made you do it. It's you. So when you make a mistake, you can own it and learn from it. When you do something good, you actually feel like you did that thing and you feel the accomplishment from it. So even though it's hard, just, just don't give up, look ahead and, and know that life is a lot better on the other side. And, and you can, you have the power within you to change everything. No one else can do it for you. It has to be you, but that power is within your control and life doesn't have to be the way it is when you're drinking. It can be light. It can be happiness. It can be opportunity. It can be excitement. It can be so much more. So just open the door, walk through it, and then live the life that you always knew you could. It's not going to be perfect, but it will be yours. And that's what matters. So that's what I would say. I love that so much. Thank you so much. Well, this has been really Thank great. you. I really appreciate your time. It's been oh, so fun. Thank you so much, Annie. As soon as I saw your face pop up, I was like, ah, because I've watched so much of your stuff and your book helped me so much. And when I was reading your book and I got to the end and it said like, once you you know, implement this and you change your life with alcohol, be sure to send us your story because we'd love to see it. And I remember reading that part and I've always loved writing and I've always loved sharing things. And I thought like, I really hope I can do that one day. I really hope I can send her my story. Like I'm so far away from that right now, but that's my goal. Like it gave me a goal. I want to be able to tell people what I went through and how I got through it. Now I just have to do it. <laughs> and so now it just feels amazing to have made it. It's, it's like, wow, you can achieve something that you want. You don't have to settle for, for let, like you can, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. And sometimes it's hard to believe that in the moment, but if you just keep moving forward, eventually it'll happen. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate getting to do this with you. And just thank you for everything that you do. I, it means the world. And I hope you feel good that you've helped so many people. Like if I help just one person from watching this, that will be enough. And people say that a lot, but it's true. It's like, that's all we're here for really is to give and help others and to make the world better if we can. And you've helped so many and you've changed so many lives. So I hope you just feel like all the love we all have for you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm talking for everyone, but I can just say if they read your book and it changed their life, like they have love for you for sure. So, <laughs> so well, I really Thank you. appreciate that. Thank you, Stacey. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast. I guess the end of this podcast to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach-guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.